With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hey, everybody. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with a, another edition of Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. It's been a long time. It's been since the second game of the season, uh, the win against Cincinnati, that I've posted a podcast because, really, there have been no games. There have been news, but not a lot of impactful news. Um, but I'm glad to be back with you today. And the reason I'm back with you is I have a special guest, Kevin Egan, who I'm sure you all know and I know you love. Uh, his employer, Fox Sports South, one of his employers, is going to do a big binge of all the MLS Cup playoff games this weekend. Starting on Friday at 7 p.m., the series against NYCFC will be broadcast. Saturday at 7 p.m., the series against New York Red Bulls will be broadcast. And on Sunday at 7 p.m., the MLS Cup, Atlanta United's first major trophy, uh, will be broadcast. Kevin does play-by-play for Fox Sports for Atlanta United Games. Kevin, how are you doing during these weird times? I'm absolutely wonderful, Doug. Great to be chatting with you on your podcast. Uh, I hope you and your family are well and, and staying safe. We are, and I, I'm glad uh, we were talking a little bit before that your son, your baby boy, is doing well as well as your wife. You know, we're spending so much time together, so he's used to having mom and dad now around every single second of the day. And uh, it's been great for me because usually I'd have to travel, and it's not the case right now, and I'm, I'm – I'm setting up all sorts of obstacle courses for them. You know, we're, <laughs> we're scoring goals in different ways. We're rolling balls down slides and through tunnels. And uh, he calls the ball a goal. So he says, goal, goal. Oh, fun. And uh, he's, he's kicking it three, four times in a row now. So uh, I'm, I'm loving every second with him. I'm that my is wife. awesome. Is he right-footed or left-footed? What's he showing? Leaning with the right foot. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of both. I'm trying to, I'll try and get him working on the left as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah. I know you're a big messy guy, so he's got to get that left foot working. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so thinking about, yeah. And like you, I miss the travel. This being at home a majority of the time is, it's a little strange. Uh, it's taken me uh, quite a few weeks to get used to it. Um, but you know, everybody's got to make a sacrifice, I guess. Yeah, the mental side of things can be tough at times, you know, but yeah. you, you realize that you're doing it for the greater good. Stay at home, stay safe. It's for other people, not necessarily yourself. So it's been, uh, it's been absolutely fine knowing what's out there and knowing mm -hmm. that this is a silent killer and, and so many families have been affected. So for us, it's, it's been a no-brainer. Just stay home and stay safe. And I'm glad to hear that all of your extended family is, is safe as well. Um, so let's talk about these games. Um, NYCFC, that series, that was the one that one of the guys said in the series that I've been writing the behind the scenes that once they got past NYCFC, they felt they had a good chance to win MLS Cup. 
What do you remember about that series and going into that series that made it such a challenge for Atlanta United? It's interesting you say that because you get by NYCFC and you've still got to play the New York Red Bulls, which in many ways had the mental edge and the results over Atlanta United from previous meetings. What I remember about the NYCFC game was there was a different approach from Atlanta United. You remember the season ended with heartache, losing out on the supporter shield away against Toronto, shipping goals for fun that day. I thought the team were ripped to shreds mm-hmm. uh, without Miguel Almiron, who was injured. And if you remember that season, Atlanta United started the regular season campaign losing, scoring or conceding four goals against Houston and conceding four goals against Toronto to end the regular season. And inside those two horrendous games was majestic football from Tata Martino's men. Now they go into the playoffs, having conceded those four goals in Toronto. The sensation is a bad one. Tata Martino has that short amount of time to completely rejig this team and their approach. In New York, at Yankee Stadium, there was a hard-nosed approach. There was a tenacious, aggressive approach to the defensive play. And obviously, there was a tweak in tactics. They went to three at the back. Uh, I would say it was more a five at the back, actually, because you had Escobar on the right, Garza on the left, and Laurentowitz on the right-hand side of the three. LGP on the left and Parkhurst in the middle. And you saw away against NYCFC and away against the Red Bulls pretty much five at the back, making themselves really hard to break down, counter-attacking with absolute pace and power. And uh, I thought you saw a brilliant performance. You know, Miguel Almiron was, was offside. There was a goal disallowed. Remember, it? you had to go all the way back to the very beginning of the attacking phase of play at Yankee Stadium. And it was Miguel Almiron from a corner that was offside when, when Gressel touched it back to him. And that eventually led to Almiron scoring and, and, and Atlanta United fans were raging at the time because they thought that was the opening goal of the game when Almiron's volley looped over Sean Johnson. But sure enough, moments later, Remedi scores the only goal of that game, uh, which was a tap in. He nearly couldn't miss it, even though he had to bundle <laughs> it over the line. And the one thing I remember about that goal was, yes, it was an ugly goal in terms of Remedi bundling it over the line. However, it was an unbelievable volley from Joseph Martinez that led to that chance. Mm-hmm. It was a corner. Martinez volleyed it. A really hard technique to master. Johnson saves it and Remedi tooks it away. And then you win 1-0 away. Mm-hmm. You're thinking, go back to Atlanta, box this off. And that's exactly what the team did, winning by three goals to one. Uh, you know, the, the things that stood out for me that day were Escobar's willingness to get forward. Mm-hmm. And it's something we've become accustomed to. When he plays in that right-hand side as a wingback, he is so unbelievably athletic. And he catches people with his speed. And that's how Atlanta United got off uh, the mark that day. It was Escobar got in behind, Nagby thread the needle, and, and he was brought down for a penalty, which Joseph tucked away. Escobar, yeah, Escobar really – he'd been a, a good player, obviously, during the regular season of the team wouldn't have had the success it had. But when he moved to that wingback position and just, I don't know, like the governor got taken off his motor or something, he was just up and down that wing. And even if a guy had a few yards on him, he was going to catch that guy. And conversely, that guy was not going to catch him if he got around him. Uh, it, that attacking mindset was, was amazing. And it did enable Tata to put that five in the back because he knew on either side, Garza and Escobar had the pace to easily take that back five and turn it into a back three and an attacking, you know, four or five, however many channels he wanted to run the guys into going down the other side of the field. That was, to me, he, he was arguably the MVP of the playoffs was Escobar. Oh, without a doubt. You know, the two goals everybody wants to hone in on, but it was everything else, that tenacious mm-hmm. approach defensively, but also getting forward and covering so much ground. You know, the, the 2018 season, Doug, was fascinating on a tactical front because if you were to ask what system Tata play, 
you've got a, a you've got many cocktails <laughs> to choose from. This this was hard to sum up. Uh, you know, and and I just think that is the sign of a wonderful manager. The fact that you can change things up mid-game, like they did in many of these games in the playoffs, and the players are so well drilled, they completely and utterly understand what your message is. And you're talking about Tata trying to speak English to certain guys as well, trying to get his message across to many different uh, players from different nationalities, and it became so easy for these guys because they worked on that small detail every single day and you saw that early on in the playoffs in the win against New York City in that game at home again Almiron scores that amazing golasso the free kick from mm-hmm. distance and then Joseph Martinez wraps it up with a belter late in the game the third goal uh, and then it was all smiles and you had that feeling at Mercedes-Benz Stadium that day that this playoff run could be something special and then came Red Bulls uh, which had been a team that Atlanta United had all sorts of trouble with uh, to that point, including uh, after that game during the regular season that I, I don't think I've ever seen a team play Atlanta United as tenaciously as Red Bulls did up there uh, during the regular season. But they get to the playoffs, and then Red, the Red Bulls manager makes a curious decision with his team tactics, and it kind of opens the door for Atlanta United a little bit. Yeah, and that was the the result. I think that nobody expected that day. You know, nobody expected Atlanta United to win by three goals to nil against this side that had had the edge over Atlanta. And now you come to crunch time. Um, but the the one thing again that stands out to me here is you had a, an aggressive Atlanta United that I really hadn't seen before, mm-hmm. and aggressive in every sense. Um, really tough tackles. If you look back at the second goal for Atlanta United, that was Franco Escobar. That starts with an LGP tackle that was very similar to Parkhurst tackle in MLS Cup against mm. Portland. LGP, first of all, Laurentowitz steps to make the, a similar tackle as well and misses it. And then LGP steps on the next phase of the play and, and it's a crunching challenge on Bradley Roy Phillips. The ball falls to Almiron who feeds Gressel. Gressel has to make a 35-yard run, a hard run from Julian Gressel, plays it across the box. It filters through to, to Escobar who buries it. Uh, and th- these, for me, are phenomenal memories, Doug. Like th- this was a, a side that was so up for this game that day. The first goal of the game was Martinez uh, cushions it down on his chest, finishes with his left foot in beautiful fashion. But the goal comes from an aggressive step again from Laurent, who mm-hmm. finds himself so far, far, high up the field, and he curls in a beautiful cross for Joseph. So I think you know we talk a lot about the tactics of Tata, the finishing from, from Joseph and from Escobar, particularly in the playoffs, but the aggressive approach of every single player. There was a mindset switch, and, and I think a lot of guys have touched on this since that win against Portland, saying that if we didn't lose to Toronto on the final game of the regular season, I don't think we would have seen that approach in the playoffs, and I think that's fairly accurate. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, you know, they've, they've said that to me many a time, uh, and they also traced it back to that Houston game. They kind of went in thinking, oh, we got this, and – they got rolled, and then same thing with Toronto a little bit, and it was just it was a wake up call that they needed uh, for the playoffs, particularly when you're facing you know teams that that had had their number pretty pretty well uh, in the previous two seasons. So now MLS Cup, kind of a big deal. <laughs> the Portland Timbers came in. I don't think you'll find an Atlanta United player who would say they didn't think they were going to win. They knew it was going to be tough to win, but they. They, you know, based upon their previous results, how well they were playing, being at home, Portland was a good squad, not a great squad that Atlanta United was going to win. But still, it was a tough – it was a tougher game, I think, that people remember it being. It was – you know, I've asked 
Parky in particular, I remember chatting with him about this and saying that for me that day, as, as a fan that day, and I was, I was watching the game alongside Dan Gargan. We were sitting next to Paul McDonough, oh, uh, which was a really cool experience to see how emotional Paul McDonough was mm-hmm. on final whistle, knowing that he, had, he was, in many ways, one of the architects, one of the main architects behind this entire squad, working with Carlos, Darren, and Tata. And then he was moving on, obviously, to Miami after that season. Um, what stood out to me, though, was there was this overriding sense of calm around the stadium and around the players. Now, Parky didn't agree with me on that. He still said, no, we were very nervous. You know, we were on edge. But I felt that within the stadium that day. And maybe that was because of the sensation I had after the game at Red Bull Arena, where Mm -hmm. the team played so hard-nosed, so tough, uh, didn't really let New York have a sniff. New York scored in the the 93rd minute, 45 seconds left until the final whistle. Um, A consolation goal at that point. Um, and it's true if we, if we point out that in the New York Red Bull series, there were two goals disallowed for the Red Bulls and Atlanta United may have ridden their luck a little bit, even though they were excellent decisions from the officials after video review. But in the Portland game, it was such a convincing dominant performance. There were one or two small chances. Like the Gazan save from a Bob say, I believe, was a good save, but it was routine for Brad Gazan. You'd expect him to make that save. Elsewhere around the field, there's the sheer aggression, that parky tackle that led to the opening goal for Joseph. There was the pressure on the other end where Escobar just doesn't let up on that free kick from Almiron. He's gambling, Doug, on someone getting a touch that's going to keep him onside because of his run, and he's going to gamble and get his foot on the ball. And that's exactly what happened. Almiron, Joseph flicks it on with the head. Escobar finishes with a plum. So there was something magical about that day. It was such a complete performance. And the players knew that with the defensive solidity that we've seen already in the playoffs, Matt you know, coupled with the fact that we've got Tito Vialba coming off the bench scoring goals, we've got Joseph banging them in, and we've got goals from behind in Escobar, we're going to score. There was this feeling for me that this was a foregone conclusion. I hate using those words, but that was the feeling and sensation before the game, knowing how complete the performances were against the Red Bulls. There's also Barco sitting there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's, that's a pretty big weapon to have as well. I want to go back to that Guzanse for a little bit. This will be part of the uh, behind-the-scenes series when I write about MLS Cup. But a couple of guys said, uh, I think Lorinowitz, that, that Guz- when Guzan made that save uh, and they went into halftime, I think they were one up at the time, they, they had a really good uh, feeling that they were going to win that game because of that save. Uh, Alec Can was telling me that it looked like a routine save, but it was a little bit harder because Brad had to get his positioning exactly right, which made it look routine. If he'd have been like a half a step to his right, I think Alec said, it would have been a very difficult save for him to make. But it kept Portland off the board. Atlanta United had the lead. They go on to win. And then, you know, they become, what would we call them? The, the leading example of an MLS franchise at that point. Um, you can argue that Seattle has surpassed them right now, but that's okay. So what do you have coming up, Kevin? What, what's going on? Are you just waiting like the rest of us for soccer to resume? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I certainly am. Uh, you know, for, for me, I've been majorly affected by, by the coronavirus in terms of work and income. Um, income has been completely and utterly shut off. Uh, the, you know, we're, we're all eager to get back to it. I, I, I have a contract with CNN, but I'm going to be busy later on in the year. Uh, uh, you know, so I, I have a certain amount of days that I have to fulfill with CNN. And that will be later on in the year when, when the Champions League gets back underway and I can get back in there with, with, with the great guys there. With Atlanta United, I have to wait and see you know, what's going to happen with the club and, and 
for us what that means and and you know if if there is a tournament to be played in orlando how that plays out with local broadcasts who knows it could, it could be national and and those could be taken from us so we, we we have to wait and see but for now i'm just grateful we're healthy doug I'm, I'm i'm so happy that i'm able to have fun with my wife and my son at home and and be in the beautiful city of atlanta and have a bit more space in roswell we're loving roswell so far even though we haven't had too much of a chance to to check it out properly but uh yeah i'm i've my industry is not one that's been busy right now. Um, yeah. we're, we're waiting to get back to it. Yep, same here. Uh, I'm curious to see about the Orlando proposal, if it's going to happen, uh, if media are going to be allowed to cover, how we're going to be allowed to cover. I'm also going to be curious about how we perform our jobs once all this is over. Because mm -hmm. the interviews that we have been doing with Atlanta United players and, and with the people that, that I've spoken to for some of these, these exclusive stories, have been uh, by Zoom or Microsoft Teams. And, you know, if MLS rules that journalists aren't essential personnel for the remainder of the year, I can see us all doing, you know, the post-practice interviews that we typically did at the training center by Zoom uh, or Microsoft Teams. And, and it's going to be really interesting to see how everyone's life is going to change once we start to kind of get back to a more normal normal than we are right now. Yeah, certainly. And and the idea that we may have to do more of these from home makes you want to prepare for that. And, and right. you know, a, a small thing, like my, we're renting a house in Roswell right now with the idea of buying maybe next March if we can. And now all of a sudden I'm, I'm saying to my wife, Meg, I'm like, well, we're learning a lot from this renting process. Like I need a space for a little studio. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's imperative now for what I do. It's so important. I'm going to be I'm going to be, uh, I haven't announced this yet, but I can say it here for the first time. I'm going to be host of uh, all ICC's coverage. And oh. um, I'm going to be anchoring a show for the ICC every week from home. So um, that may be green screen, I think it's going to be, or, or this background that you see right now. But I, uh, I'm looking forward to starting that. We're going to record our first show June 1st and uh, run throughout the summer and most likely all next season as well. So there's, there's lots of things in the works, but a lot of them are involved with being at home and and we've got to become used to that in many in many ways and hopefully we can get back to some semblance of normality or full normality and i can't wait to be back in that boot dog i'll be honest I, I really miss the feeling of looking across to my left from the boot and seeing those fans going absolutely nuts yeah. and the cannons going off after a goal and i never want to say we take it for granted but we maybe we did you know at times you just take something for granted that you're used to being there and and uh you never think it'll go away but We've got to just sap up every single second of it when it comes back. Congratulations on that uh, ICC job. That's fantastic. And I agree with you. We, we really do need, and me in particular, I get jaded and I get callous and I get grumpy, need to do a better job of appreciating uh, what we have. Um, so again, Fox Sports South is going to rebroadcast Atlanta United's MLS Cup playoff run. Friday at 7 p.m., the series against NYCFC. Saturday at 7 p.m., the series against Red Bulls. And Sunday at 7 p.m. will be the championship game against Portland Timbers. Kevin, how can people find you on social media? At Kev underscore Egan on both Twitter and Instagram. All right. And you can find me on Twitter at Doug Roberts of AJC. And I can't remember my Instagram, so don't sweat it because I don't put anything <laughs> on there. It's just not far. I can't get that into my thinking that I need to put stuff on Instagram. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. It's overhyped. <laughs> All right, Kevin, thank you very much. And please follow this podcast on iTunes.
The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Journal-Constitution.